This isn't going to work. Welcome to season three of the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. (laughs) This is Crispin Mayfield, and I'm a therapist. And I'm Danielle Mayfield. I'm a writer and agitator. This is a podcast where we talk about media that we consumed as children that taught us about God and the world through an evangelical lens. Yeah, we're interested in looking at some of the strands of dominant culture theology. We're interested in deconstructing some of that. And we also want to have a good time. Yep, it's a good summary. So welcome to this week's episode of the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. Season three, McGee and me and... Me! Ramona, do you like McGee and me? I love it. (laughs) Ransom, what show are we talking about? My D and me. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's the Bob. (laughs) Okay, guys, Bob's going to talk. All right. How are you? Good. I missed you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I missed doing podcasts with you. Yeah, I've missed it too. It's been a while. Wait, you missed it, not me. Mm, I miss both. <laughs> okay. I see you all the time. That's true. Every single day. Too much. No, it's great. Well, hi, everyone. Uh, we're back. Season three. What are we, We're calling it McGee and me and me because... That's right. We're we're going to go through every single episode of McGee and Me ever made. Wow. But before you freak out, it's only 12. Does that include? The New Adventures of McGee and Me? Yeah, it oh, does. okay. Yeah. Right. When he's a teenager? Yeah, there's like a three or four year break. Season three, McGee and Me and Me. Just such a great ring to it's it. It's such a great ring to it. Yeah. Um, Christmas, what is McGee and Me? For those who don't know. It is a video series. You could call it a TV show, but it wasn't actually on TV. So it probably was on aired on Christian TV at some point, but it oh, definitely. No. Some of them aired on ABC later on. Really? Mainstream. Oh, wow. Yeah. But later on. Right. I think initially they were just produced for mass distribution on VHS, basically, from Focus on the Family, which yeah. I did not actually know. Yeah. That McGee and me was also Focus on the Family. So we're basically just going after Focus on the Family at this point. Right. Which, why not? We're obsessed. Right. With Focus on the Family. (laughs) (laughs) I may or may may not have written an open letter to them a few weeks ago. (laughs) They just keep coming up. I know. It's true. Right. So. Yeah. So what's it about? It's about a kid uh, who is how old? 11. Okay. It's an 11-year-old um, who Ramona, our daughter, thought his name was Miguel, which would have been great. Well, I mean, what? It would have been such a better show if it was called Miguel and McGee, right? <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and if the main character had not been white, I mean, that would have been awesome, too. But, right. Um, yeah. yeah. Hey, the his best friend is black. 
That's true. Which, I mean, I'm not given cookies for, you know. But still, it was nice. Right. I mean, compared to Adventures in Odyssey, it was yeah. significantly more representative. That's true. From the get-go. Yes. Straight out of the gate. Okay. Are we going to like recap the episode and then we'll talk a little bit about our experiences growing up with Mickey and me? Is that what we should do? Maybe flip that. So, Well, I just want to do a quick you know, overview for people who just like accidentally are listening to this. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, that's great. So I'll do it since okay. I'm, th- I'm thinking you're going to go too deep into this. Yeah. Let's just do a quick. Okay. Quick overview. McGee and Me was created by Focus on the Family and this first episode that we're going to talk about today, which is called The Big Lie, mm-hmm. it aired in 1989 or was made in 1989. And yeah, so it's about this kid, Nicholas, and this little like cartoon creek guy that he draws. And it's basically like a 30 minute little episode about morality. So it's not... Like Adventures in the Odyssey at all. That's like a huge multiverse, so many characters. And that one got super weird and political, very much about like conservative and American values. And McGee and me is just a gentler animal, right? Mm-hmm. As as we will see. So I didn't really remember a ton. Like I watched it a lot as a child, but in my mind it was just the same as Adventures in the Odyssey. I think it's really different, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. There's still some stuff to unpack there. But it seems like they're really different purposes, right? Yeah. So I think you were trying to explain it to me. So like McGee and me is kind of focused on morality. Right, yeah. it's just Or like just a, like moral, general morals, like don't lie. Right, yeah. There's a moral of the story, right? And I feel like Adventures in Odyssey – well, I was telling you this before. I felt like Adventures in Odyssey was much more explicit um, and a lot of like, you know, kind of taking apart Bible verses and stuff. Although I feel like this also had some like explicit teaching as well. It wasn't just a moral because his dad talks to him about why lying is bad. Based on the Bible. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But still to, I still want to think about like, what was it about Adventures in Odyssey? They were trying to create like a Christian worldview, right? Yes. And this one doesn't seem quite as intense. Right. Like yeah. me. Yeah, I got the sense that this feels a little bit more like almost evangelistic. I feel like the production like, like quality, for non-believers, right? Yeah, I feel like the production quality was like pretty high. Yeah, actually, for '89, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, it you know fit right in there with like Back to the Future, like totally cheesy in '80s, but not yeah. horrible. Like that yeah, thing no. wasn't totally horrible or anything. So yeah, I got the sense that it was, and because it's not necessarily. Uh, yeah, I feel like they're trying to make it more accessible. Yeah, that makes sense. It's It felt more accessible, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember as a kid watching it and being like, this is like a cool show for like cool kids. Right. Did you feel like that? skateboarding in that one. Yeah. Right. The bully is really good looking anyways. <laughs> <laughs> did you think that as a kid or did you think that today? I'm not sure. <laughs> I always thought Nicholas was kind of a tool. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Anywho... Let's backtrack a little bit. Okay. You were not even alive in 89, were you? I was. <laughs> I was three years old. That's a joke, but okay. <laughs> I was five. I'm pretty sure I watched it within like a year or two of it coming out. That seems about right. If I was like six or seven. Mm-hmm. Again, these had quite the lifespan on VHS and Christian households, I'm assuming, like mine. And I just remember thinking it was a cool show. Uh not this episode. I think it's like the fourth or fifth one, Twister and Shout. That's mm-hmm. the one. 
that I like really, really remember. But this one is pretty high up there because mm-hmm. uh, there is a Native American man that features prominently in this one that you think is scary. And by the end, you're like, he's cool. Um, we should also note here that if you haven't watched this yet, you should, you know, pause our podcast right now. And all of these videos are on YouTube. You can just watch them in their entirety. So go to YouTube and watch McGee and me, the big lie, and then come back. So this is going to be great. Nobody could listen to our invention and honesty things because nobody wanted to pay money to focus on the family. But hey, this is, is this illegal, Christmas? I don't think so. I don't think so either. It's on YouTube. It's just up there. Right. And it says, McGee and me, the complete series, bold as brass. So mm-hmm. it has to be legal. I think focus on the family is just still trying to like, you know, evangelize, hoping somebody will stumble across it. And, and you will. I mean, your life will be changed if you watch this. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. So go do that. Right. Anywho, so I don't really remember this specific episode. I, what I do remember about this period of time, we can call it the late 80s, early 90s, is that I was super into Looney Tunes stuff, right? And we were just talking about French vanilla. I think French vanilla was like <laughs> a big flavor back then. And uh, the Batman movie came out, which of course I couldn't see. And... Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade was big. Mm. And I think New Kids on the Block. So that's setting this, you know, the stage for this show. And it fits right in. I think it's fine. It works. Uh-huh. Kids with skateboards. Right. Yeah. Acid wash denim backpacks. Yeah. So. Oh my gosh. Also, let's just talk about Nicholas. So Nicholas is the main character. He's 11. In this first episode, he and his family move in with his grandma. So he's like starting all over at this new school, all this stuff. You just only see a glimpse of his sister, but I also remember his sister's older than him. She's like a high schooler, right? I think he's supposed to be middle school. And she had this intense side pony, mm-hmm. like a side ponytail, a blonde side ponytail with like really fluffy bangs. And that really brought me back because that is an aesthetic I rocked when I was like six and seven. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. With a sweatshirt with like a blue yeah. green sweatshirt. It was really, right? it was, she's really cool. Like turquoise. She's, like, super cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. What do you remember about watching McGee and Me? Yeah, I was trying to remember. Like, I remember all that, but I don't, like, necess- it didn't, like, bring back any sort of vivid mem- memories as we were watching. You didn't remember about the old guy? <laughs> well, I do remember that, and I okay. do remember, <coughs> I do remember that it was scary. It was, like, yeah. definitely scary as a kid. Okay. I probably watched it when I was, like, five. Okay. And so... Uh, that definitely, it it was scary. This guy was scary, but even more scared when they went and they trashed his house. Oh, interesting. So just because. See, think, I didn't remember that element of it at all. music. I did remember the blood on his hand. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. I don't. What do you think the blood was? I think the bunny hurt himself. Okay. As a child, that's what I thought. And now I'm like, oh, I think he, the man cut his hand or something. Right. Yeah. No, I totally, yeah. when I was a kid, I thought that he was like sacrificing the bunny what yes i thought that's why he had blood on his hand oh my gosh i know i told you i was five how are you supposed to make <sighs> sense of these things wow we should probably debrief it with ramona because we watched it with our daughter yeah so that's going to be something different about this season three of our podcast is we're gonna watch these videos with our two kids so we just watched it tonight with 
our daughter Ramona, who is almost eight, and Ransom, who's three. And I don't know what Ransom thought about it. (laughs) (laughs) Ramona loved it. She loves McGee and me, guys. McGee and me. Yeah, she calls it McGee. I I wish she still thought his name was Miguel. Yeah, right. Yeah. But, yeah, she said it was amazing. Yeah. But she had some really interesting observations as we were watching it. The fact that she pointed out that Nicholas felt shamed was so interesting. Right. I was like, I love that she could name that. Mm-hmm. I don't think I could have named that when I was seven. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. So let's do a quick recap. So it starts off with Nicholas and his family. They have recently moved into the neighborhood to move in with his grandmother, who really doesn't play any role in the rest of the episode. Yeah. She's a sweet old house, though. Mm-hmm. Where do you think this is set? I think Michigan. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Like, where where is it? Like, what are the demographics? It's like an old colonial style house. Yeah. I don't know. Could not tell you. But, but it doesn't seem like the South. No, right. And it doesn't seem like California. And those so, are the only two places that exist right. in the United States. Probably it was just, yeah, made in, in like, you know, some Midwestern town. I want to say Michigan. Yeah. So they move in. Uh, Nicholas is anxious to make a good impression. Um, and then so he gets picked on by this bully and then uh, almost gets beat up. But then his f- new friend, Lewis stands up for him. And then they end up in front of this old rundown house. Lewis explains there's a crazy old Indian who lives there. Right? That's what he says. Yes. His words, not yours. Yes. Right. Thank you for, yeah. for clarifying that. And everybody thinks that he's, you know, eats animals and stuff. And so uh, then Nick Nicholas is like, all right, well, if I go knock on the window, then everybody will think I'm cool. And he ends up falling into the man's basement, running into him. Screaming bloody murder, running out. Um, and then after that, uh, his friend Lewis is like, oh, my gosh, what happened? And um, and so basically this tale is told that he went into the man's house and stood up to him. And then. And that like the guy was like eating animals. So. Right. Yeah. And then everybody thinks he's really cool at school. And then the bullies, for some reason, they're like that Indian is what they say. He's going out or like going not going down. I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. Yeah. He was like, he's going to be out of here. And so then they go. Because Nicholas is such a wimp. They're like, if he can do it, we can stand up to him. I think so. Okay. And I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure why they turn from like bullies to like vigilantes. Right. Because they're they're doing it out of like a sense of like righteousness. Are they? Yeah, I mean it's unclear the, what the motivations are. Yes, that's true, but that's how it comes across. So right? it's so it's the hot bully Derek. Mm-hmm. So, excuse me, Christmas. <laughs> um, and he has three mullet friends. Yes, they who all never have talk. Mullets. They all have mullet, except Derek. Does Derek have a mullet? No, but all of his friends do. Yeah. Yep, and they are. No, I, that was I was thinking like it was long and curly, but that was that kid that was out at the park today that had a long and curly mullet. But yeah, anyway. we did. Let's call them the Mullet Boys. Okay. Okay. Derek and the Mullet Boys. Yeah, Derek and the Mullet Boys. So they go to the guy's house. Throw a rock through the window. Yeah. And then take all the animals' cages and, like, throw them out. Throw all the animals out. 
So it's really unclear. Are they like harassing the animals? Are they setting them free? Well, as a child, I really remember they took a trash can full of leaves and put it all over his porch. And I was like, that's a lot of leaves. Right. And now yeah. I'm like, it's a really <laughs> weird thing that to show. I don't know. Right. <laughs> it had a big impression on I feel like there's child paint Danielle. involved at some point. Oh, yeah. They threw paint on his porch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then he's like cowering there on the porch with blood on his hand holding a rabbit. For some reason, Nicholas comes, right? Yeah, right. At the very end. Right, because he's like, oh, I told this lie, and now I need to make it right. Yeah. So he shows up right as they're leaving. So, And basically, the reason that he shows up is because he feels ashamed, as our daughter pointed out, mm-hmm. very guilty, and then has a conversation with his dad, wherein he has to tell the truth or else he's going to re- lose his relationship with God. Yeah, we'll, we'll unpack that in a minute. Yes, right. So then Nicholas goes back and cleans up the next morning and the old man, his name is George uh, Ravenhill or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. George Ravenhill. Like gives him a glass of lemonade and it's an interesting interaction. Mm-hmm. But I have to say you left out something incredibly important. McGee? Yeah. Right. Who the hell is McGee know, in this series? That's what I was wondering. There's no introduction. <laughs> like, is what he... is he? Right. <laughs> that will be the central question we try to discover as we watch this. Right. I it's... think he's a demon. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Like, he. <laughs> I do. <laughs> is he like a representation of his like inner ego or something? You know, he is. And I know this is true because I was researching bill myers the guy who like created the show he was basically saying okay the reason we have this like little animated character and usually in each episode i think there's like a little in in the middle there's usually like a little animated like little story that sort of has to go along with the moral and there's something in the beginning with like some proverbs or something with mcgee in this one right? yeah they read a bible verse and then he acts it out and then but then mcgee is like Nick will just see him every once in a while in real life, like popping out of a box of cereal or whatever. And so basically Bill Myers was like, so little kids love animated stuff and older kids love live action. And so when Focus on the Family is like, we want you to reach all of them, Mm -hmm. they're like, let's do it. And they actually did this right before Roger Rabbit. You know, that movie came out, Mm -hmm. which I was not allowed to see Mm -hmm. because Jessica Rabbit had too much cleavage. Mm-hmm. So I never saw that one, but I did see McGee and me. And so <laughs> I think they were like trying to do that same thing, like reach a wider audience of kids, which right. is true. Ransom, our three-year-old totally loved the McGee parts. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he knew what was going on the rest of the time. Um, so that's why they did it. Then I was reading another interview. I'm going to go. Yeah. I'm going to go down some rabbit holes. Should I spill all this information now or like, you know. Yeah. Go dole it. it out as we go. Okay. So I think what Bill Myers, he wanted to do something weirder. Like, I think he wanted McGee to be like the id or something. Mm-hmm. But anyways, folks on the family people were not understanding. They're like, what is McGee? Is, what is he? And so he was like, I could tell they weren't going to understand what I was trying to do. So I just said, he's Nick's alter ego. Mm. And he's like, and they just were like, great. We get it. Go mm. for it. Which I don't even know what alter ego means. It's like that the way you act out that you don't feel like you can. I think so, Which, yeah. if that is true, that is fascinating to look at McGee, who McGee is super naughty, and then also, so he tells Nick to do naughty things, and then he also tells him to do 
good things. And I was like, maybe this will be really fascinating to like focus on McGee as we watch Nick sort of like absorb some of this evangelical theology and, and what we might even consider some intense or dangerous theology for kids to be hearing. What if McGee is like an actual authentic response to that theology? Hmm. I'm probably going way too deep into this, <laughs> but Ramona was like, I think McGee is his conscience, which I was like, but no, McGee told him to go like knock on that old man's door and be ridiculous and stupid and like make himself the center of attention in a school play and stuff like that. So I'm like, I don't think McGee's the conscience. Right. But, yeah. Yeah. Cause he was like, you were the one that told me to like go up in front of everyone yeah. at the school play. So everyone would notice you. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, it's, it'll be interesting to think through. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think, and I think that does continue. So that is really interesting. I think as a kid, you're supposed to identify with Nick, mm-hmm. not McGee. Right. Yeah. I never identified with McGee. Did you like him as a kid? I don't. I did not. Yeah. Like him at all. Right. I was like, I don't know what this is supposed to be, but I, I don't think that I did either. I remember him being more naughty than good. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, we both really I, I'm to sorry be. I keep saying naughty. That's because I'm a mom. Okay. <laughs> What's the different? Right. Deviant. No, that's not good. Right. Bad? No, that's not good either. I don't know. But you and I both really wanted to be good kids, right? Yeah, we did. So. Which I think Nick does too. Yeah. So the kid who plays Nick has a terrible little face that I don't like. <laughs> and also, this is really interesting watching it with Ramona because she was like, oh, is he supposed to be a genius or something? Because like the intro shows this like amazing sort of like rude Goldberg like contraption that Nick has built. And then another scene in the movie he, like, has this whole contraption thing for opening his door. I was like, oh, maybe he is. Which is so Maybe he's 80s. a talented and gifted child. So late 80s and early 90s, right? To do those contraptions to open uh-huh. doors. Yeah. Right, yeah. It's very, like, Home Alone-ish. You know what was in his room? That huge, giant Crayola thing. Oh. I just remember rich kids having that. Mm-hmm. I always wanted one. Yeah, I don't even did. know what it was. Is it a bank? I have no idea. I don't know what it is. Right. That's but- a tangent. Yeah. For you, okay. So Nicholas is kind of annoying. You want to punch him in the face, <laughs> but he does have a good heart. And yeah, the central crux of this movie is he kind of was in that scary situation, fell into that guy's house. There's animals in cages everywhere, and some stuffed animals, which is weird and creepy. And then the guy just sort of like lumbers after him, doesn't talk, you know. And so a scary thing happens. He wants to fit in, and so when his new friend Lewis, who's kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like kind of helps him make up this lie, you know, and then he just feels super crappy about it. And then he has this conversation with his dad. Right. And so this is like the serious moment where the evangelism happens, you know, a conversation a on moment. a bed, a teaching moment that there we go. I was like, I know there's going to be some Christians. I liked his dad, but it was interesting. So so basically, Nicholas was like, so what if you say something about a person and it gets them into trouble? And his dad's like, well, is it true? Which is interesting. Uh-huh. I would probably ask that as a parent. And, you know, Nick doesn't say anything, which means no. And so then the dad, of course, is like, well, then it could really hurt that person. And then it could hurt you. Because What did he say? Because it could hurt your relationship with God? Yeah. So he says, uh, you know, does he say lying is a sin? Yeah, because lying is a sin. Right, yeah, he says lying is a sin. 
and sin damages your relationship with God and cuts you off from him. Right, which, I mean, not to put all our cards out on the table here, is that true, Crispin? No. Okay, you said that so quickly. I know. (laughs) Okay, so do we want to camp out here for a minute? Let's do it, let's do it. Okay, so yeah, I think that this is very important, this little piece. And I was surprised. I thought I was going to be really bored and I have nothing to talk about, but I have tons to talk about. Oh, well, let's go. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think that that is very, very damaging to tell a kid, like, if you sin, then that... like jeopardizes your relationship with God. Yeah. Cause I would never, you would never tell your kid that you would never say like, if you make a mistake or you do something wrong, that's going to jeopardize your relationship with me. Right. Well, you would never say it straight out, but is that an, a little bit of an underlying belief that we have? Yes, I think it is. Okay. Well, I think that's what shame is. Yes. Right. So shame is how says, we control people. Right. And shame, I mean, our experience of shame, I don't know if it's, it's not true. I right. don't think it is not true of me and my kids. Right. Or you and your kids. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Us and our children. Um, you know, there's nothing that I, um, but. Okay, you guys, it, we just realized. The windows open in our shed and our neighbors can probably hear us recording. And I do not think they care about McGee and me. Okay, anyways, Christopher. So, um, but thinking about it from the experiential side on the other side of experiencing shame, right? So shame tells us you've done something wrong and therefore you are unacceptable for relationship or not deserving love or relationship, right? Like you should be shunned. You should be disconnected. Yeah. Right. And I think that's basically what they're communicating to kids about God, which is yes. if you are, if you sin, then you're going to be disconnected from God, which who does not sin? Right. right? right. Like who everybody sins. And kind of to what we, I remember you telling me about this book you were reading on sin. A lot of times, actually, we sin uh, in ways that we don't, out of our strength, not our weakness. Yeah, there's this Catholic priest. I totally can't remember his name right now because I have a terrible memory, which means I shouldn't be writing things, but I still do. Anyways, yeah, this, his, his idea of sin is like we sin out of our strengths. Right. And to me, it makes me think of like Enneagram stuff and all that. And I think that's really true. It's more. Explain what that means exactly. So I'm just I'm going to have a hard time articulating this. So I think one of the things, for example, um, so sinning out of our strength would be something like um, excluding like the Pharisees excluding people. Right. He was talking about the Pharisees and how they were excluding people. Right. And not welcoming them into the faith community and they actually didn't know that they were sinning right they had no idea and so and so he's saying in scripture when you look at people like the pharisees like they truly had no idea that they were not following god right yes and like that disturbs me to the core to be perfectly honest Mm -hmm. and i think it should scare all of us but like even in the ways we try and follow god we can be doing the opposite 
but we're so unaware of it. But yet, like the evangelical culture is really fixated on certain sins that you can like get rid of or work hard against. And and that's actually a lot easier in a way to deal with that than to deal with like the entire way I'm oriented causes me to not love certain people. And so I think sin is like a way bigger deal. Right. Yeah. So we use that term living in sin, right? Yeah. And living in sin would be like sleeping with your boyfriend. But living in sin would not be continuing to go to Walmart, even if you know that it's supporting uh, like unequal wages. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, I mean, there are so many decisions we make right. all the time that have a negative impact on others right. or the planet. And we don't think of those as right. like living in sin. Right. But who's to say that there's like, how can you say, well, that's sin and this isn't, yeah. right? Okay, so... We all, we, we believe in sin, obviously. Yeah. We believe kids sin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, what, so let's let's unpack this thing about, we. so you don't believe that sin separates us from God. Right. And, I mean, if we just want to give a brief explanation, Cain, well, Adam and Eve sin, God goes and talks to them. Cain kills Abel, God goes and talks to him. Jacob, uh, you know commits identity fraud and takes off into the desert. And then who does he see there? Moses kills someone, goes out into the desert, runs into God. Right. So yeah, this idea that we like sin separates us from God is not biblical. It's not biblical. Yeah. But can patterns of sin distance us from the work God is doing in the world and affect our ability to hear the Holy spirit? Yes. Yes. But that is not the same thing as saying, if you sin, God will draw away from you, which is what this episode is saying. So let's just be honest. There's two ways, right? But I agree. Like, if you read the Bible, it seems like God is obsessed with people who sin, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Right. Um, But I guess the one prerequisite for that would be people are honest about their sin. Mm -hmm. So. Well, I think he's obsessed with everyone. Yeah, but he's not able to. So, like, the Pharisees' sin did keep them from God. Right, yeah. But I'm just trying to wrap my head around this, how to, like, how I would want to explain this to kids. But fundamentally, the way it's framed in this episode is used to shame kids into not sinning so they can keep God close. And that is something I grew up with. Right. And it is hard. It is so hard. And. You know, you were talking about, you were just reading some Henry Nouwen about religious kids who grew up really wanting to be good. And that's both of us. Mm-hmm. And and how that can just come back to haunt you a right, little yeah. bit. So he did this qualitative study of prayers of college students. And so one group of them were like people that didn't believe in God. And he was looking at that. And there's like this sense of freedom and like self-worth associated with rejecting God. Because they're like finally... Like, I don't have someone looking at my shame, uh, like looking into my heart and seeing sin and being disappointed with Wait, me these are the people time. who used to be Christians and then right, stopped? Yeah. Yes. Right. Oh, okay. And okay. so they're like, finally, like, I just always felt like I had to be perfect. Or, you know, either you're perfect or God is looking into your heart and seeing like the, the depths of your like darkness, right? And is disgusted with it. Right. I mean, yeah. Those are and so they're like, things. I'm glad to be done. Right. That's what they're saying. Okay. Exactly. Right. 
Um, also, I think it's worth. I've been reading a lot about attachment theory, yes, uh, psychological theory, and basically, if we look at uh, kids, like they and adults, uh, we we organize our whole lives around staying close to our attachment figures, mm-hmm. right? So, like, there are all these different ways. There are unhealthy. There are healthy and unhealthy ways that we try to keep close to our parents, right? We try to keep them near. Um, and that can mean like bad behavior so that they can't leave. Um, that can mean like not getting too close to them because we're afraid that if we get too close to them, they'll become upset at us. And so we try to, we are close, but not too close. Or if you're secure, then it's like, well, I just know that I can rely on my parent to be there. But we're as kids, we really want our parents close. Right. And we try, especially if we feel like our their closeness is contingent on our behavior, then that creates a lot of anxiety and a lot of feelings of guilt and shame and lack of self-worth um, and is really problematic as opposed to a parent that's like, I'm I'm just going to be here for you no matter what yeah. you do. Okay, so, so that is what this episode is setting up for kids. Right. What, what, what kind of attachment style is that, that setting up? That would be like eager, avoidant, I mean, that's like an anxious attachment style. Um, so, and that would be a preoccupied a- a- attachment style. So preoccupied is like, I'm afraid my parent is going to leave. And so I need to spend all of my energy trying to keep them close, which means, you know, if we look at this with kids, that means they're not learning. Their brains won't function well. They're not able to go out and explore. They're not able to build other relationships because they're so, so much of their brain spaces is filled with anxiety about, can I keep my parent close? So God is a super bad parent. Yes. Right. Yeah. Because it's like... Creating all these anxious, insecurely attached children. Right. And here's the other thing is that, okay, so he literally says in the episode, sin, if if you sin, it can cut off your relationship from God. And I think he says it can. Yeah. So he's kind of giving this qualitative, but it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? And then kids are told... How do you go to heaven and how do you not go to hell, right? It's through your relationship with God. So so they don't talk about heaven and hell in this episode. No. But we but, certainly learned about it. Right, yeah. yeah. So, you know, basically, like, the implicit message there is, like, you, if you don't want to go to hell, then you need to not sin. And, you know, yeah. at the same time, we tell kids it's not about being good, yeah. right? But this literally is, like... That's why I love... Maybe that's McGee. McGee's the one that's just, like... Y'all are telling me contradictory messages. <laughs> I'm just going to be me and right. I'll be loved anyways. <laughs> yes. Okay. All I'm right. going to grasp onto this. Okay. It's probably not true. No, but maybe <laughs> that would, that would be amazing if Bill Wait, Myers wanna... was like subversively trying to. <laughs> you know, McGee's living his best life and it's cute. I'm trying to be like the queer eye guy, but I'm not the same. <laughs> right. It's cute, honey. Okay, so that was an interesting interaction. And again, Ramona, age seven, pointed out that Nick was feeling extremely shamed. Yeah. And I don't think she even thinks that's a bad thing, but just mm-hmm. being like, oh, that's how he feels, because it shows like his some anguish shots of his face. He feels so bad about lying about this guy. And and honestly, like he should feel bad, yeah. but not to the point where he thinks God's not going to love him anymore. Right. Um. Because that's a shitty thing to do. Mm-hmm. And let's just not even talk about the underlying racism of this episode. Right. Okay. Before we go to racism. <laughs> I 
I said, let's not talk about it. Uh, the other thing is that he, during this montage, he spends all his time sketching, <gasps> right? So he's thinking, yes. you know, he's thinking like, what do I do? I thought he was drawing McGee. I thought he was drawing the man. <laughs> the Mr. Raven? Yeah. Raven Hill? Raven yeah. Claw? I would right. say Raven Claw, but well, that's right. not it. Uh, so he, he's sketching. And you see these, uh, you see, you can't see what he's drawing, and you see several scenes of him sketching. And he has the worst sketch face. Right. And then you see that it's Jesus, and he is sad. It's like, I kind of want that picture framed on my wall. <laughs> yes, you do. It is the saddest looking Jesus you've ever seen. His eyes are downcast. He's wearing a crown of thorns, um, which is the way evangelicals like to talk about Jesus. Right. And his dad says it. <gasps> oh, right. right. That's the third person that gets hurt. And Ramona guessed that, too. Yep. Because the dad was like, okay, so the person you lied about gets hurt, and then you get hurt because your relationship with God will be damaged. And then there's one more person that gets hurt. And Ramona was like, God. Mm-hmm. But then the dad said, Jesus. Right. Because, and then he, like, paraphrases Matthew 25. Basically says, because, you know, Jesus said, whatever you've done to others, you've done to me. Yeah. But and- I'm like, but that's really weird. That's in the context of, like, feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and visiting the people in prison and if you're catholic burying the dead you know like so that was really weird like yeah and he literally says if you hurt other people then you hurt jesus which is a part of me is like sure yeah believe that like that's a fine way to go about the world if it causes you to approach treating everyone with dignity and Mm -hmm. being made in the image of god but it, it, just in the context of how it was said, it was like that is heaping so much shame and guilt. Right. And I think it had this sense that I feel like it, maybe I'm reading between the lines, but I think it actually dehumanizes the, this man as a victim or like not dehumanize, but it's like, well, the real reason this is a sin is because you've offended God, not the man. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is like a lot of what evangelicals, have been oriented to is like it's all about my maintaining my relationship with god and being in good standing with him not actually thinking about like what this means for people my actual me. neighbor right that i yeah. was just really shitty too yeah okay so as a child were you ever told that you made jesus sad yeah totally that yeah. was the talk yeah was we would you know i'd go into my dad's room and he would say how do you think jesus feels about what you did <sighs> which what attacked what a, what attack i mean again i'm like it's not the worst thing in the world but is it yeah i mean i, I think, don't know right well i mean some of it is like, i mean i'm not gonna say that to my kids no some of it is i never had an experience where my dad sat down with me and was like jesus is really proud of you or Aww. jesus really loves you you Aww. know it was only wait your dad never said jesus loves you well there wasn't a time where you'd like reflect on my behavior yeah. in a positive way, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, um, that's depressing. And so, so I think there wasn't that balance, right? It was, and then I think I don't know if I was told that. Huh? What? That Jesus loves you? You know that you're making Jesus sad. Yeah. I feel like once or twice, but it wasn't like a huge. Except every Good Friday, I mm. feel like people were really intense on like. You were the one nailing Jesus to the cross. You need to cry right now at mm-hmm. this service. You know, and right, as a yeah. child being like, I have lied a few times about cleaning the bathroom. 
and I fight with my sister. So I don't think I I nailed Jesus to the door. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like I mean, kids are smart. Kids know they sin. Kids know they disappoint their parents. Kids know that they don't treat people right, and they wish they could treat them better, but they almost feel powerless sometimes, right, mm-hmm. to do that. Um, and kids also know, hopefully, I still think it's there. I think kids know that God doesn't view them as responsible for the death of Jesus. Yeah. Personally. Right. But that's kind of a hallmark of evangelical theology. But even as a kid, I was always like, I am confused. Mm-hmm. I'm bad, but not that bad. You know, mm-hmm. like, right, yeah. <laughs> and it, so going back to the sad picture of Jesus. Yes. And so, me. Right. So then I was having a conversation with Ramona afterward on the bench in her front yard. And I mean, that's a hard conversation to have to know. So I'm going to tell you what I did. And then you can tell me if I made the right decision. Okay, I will. <laughs> it, it's hard because we're talking about Jesus being sad. And. You know, she was like, oh, he looked, I think Jesus was really disappointed in him. And I was like, you know, I don't think we need to worry about hurting God's feelings. Like, that's what it kind of seemed like. Like, he was really worried about, like, God's feelings would be hurt or would God be okay. And I think God can handle it when we sin, you know. And I think he is sad when other people get hurt. Um but he, I don't think that he gets really mad at you or, or really disappointed with you. Yeah, I mean, I think that's great. It is interesting. So I think Nick drawing a picture of sad Jesus as a way to atone for himself, as a way to, like, get back into the good graces of God is sad. And, like, a really fitting picture for how most kids in evangelicalism have grown up. Mm-hmm. Right? We feel we have to do these things in order to appear... Right. Sorry and penitent and shamed enough to get back into the good graces. But then, so then Nick does go, I kind of like this part. Like, it's not enough just to feel sad, right? You have to go and make things right. So I love that he went to the neighbor's house and started cleaning up. And the neighbor guy wasn't even super nice to him. It was sort of like, you need to do the side porch when you're done with this porch, you know, which I was like, go, go, dude. Mm -hmm. Also, the grandma says that he, like, takes care of all these animals. He's, like, the sweetest guy ever. Um, He has arthritis. Yeah, and so, at the, but at, he does come out and give lemonade to Nick, and like flashes him this like huge smile, and he is like a very gorgeous old Indian man, and then it kind of like fades to that picture of Jesus, and Ramona's like, oh my gosh, he looks a lot like Jesus, you know, and I was like, huh, well that, I like the picture being used in that regard, like suffering Jesus is with the suffering. Yeah, you know what right. I mean. Yeah, like, totally. No, that's when awesome. I, when I saw that part, I was like, "That is that's awesome." awesome. As but long so, as you're, but I never took that away from. No, no. So I'm like, so the same picture of Jesus can be used in two completely different ways, either to identify with like the guilty, sort of privileged person, or a kid even, um, trying to do things right to get God to love them, or it can be used as like. Jesus identifies with those who are suffering. And as we grow in love for Jesus, we grow in love for these communities too and want to make things right. And so I don't know. Right. It's, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think that is one of the sig- significant things about the crucifixion that gets missed often is like, I think that we always, I mean, like you were saying, we feel like we should feel shameful on Good Friday, right? Yeah. Feel bad about yeah. it. But I think that it's actually about Jesus identifying with the shamed. With people yeah. who experience shame. Oof. 
we can write that down and put on a bookmark. Also, I will. Uh, <laughs> here's my theory of atonement for the week. You ready? Oh, <laughs> let's go. Okay. So thinking about like, so what, you know, Nick sin- Nicholas sins. Um, and then, you know, this has the threat of, you know, jeopardizing his relationship with Jesus. And so his parent, you know, talks to him about Jesus being heard. And then obviously like him writing this thing really with the crown of thorns, really like for whatever reason, they don't explicitly talk about the cross, but there's something yeah. in there about it. Right. But I think that the significance of the cross is God is like, you can literally whip me and nail me to a tree and kill me. And I will still come back and say, peace be with you. Like that is the significance of the cross for me right now. This week <laughs> is <laughs> that like, there is no sin that we can do yeah. that will keep God from loving us, which goes right to the point, right? The antithesis of what his dad is saying, yeah. which is like, an 11 year old boy that lies like puts his puts his relationship with god in jeopardy and i think the exact opposite of that is like i love you no matter what yeah and you can do like that seriously is one of the worst crimes that you could do against someone yeah i mean we've talked about him before but so bob ekblad who has been a chaplain a jail chaplain for decades working mostly with um, you know, people in gangs, young men in gangs, you know, he said that like one of the number one heresies in the church is this idea that sin separates you from God. And it's so toxic. And he said, even people in the jail, these men, you know, they've so bought into this toxic theology that they view themselves as like out of reach of God. There's no way God could ever love them because they've done so many sins. Right. And so he spends his entire life combating this heresy. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think we need to start calling it heresy. Yeah. Sin does not separate you from God. God pursues you. God loves you. God is always there for relationship, but for real relationship to happen. Right. You might need to take some steps as far as, um, letting go of shame possibly that could keep you from being in a relationship with God or, um, you know, stop doing the sin. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I know you're the counselor. We're a little different on this. Right. Yeah. I'm like, I don't think that you, I don't think I still love to to try to be good. Right. So, but I will say, I want to be very careful and not communicate to other people that sin separates you from God. At the same time, I always have to say this, right? Like, even reading in Mark 3 today, Jesus is pissed at religious people who, like, actively oppress people in order to appear good before God. And so, like, there's things to be mad about. There's things to call other people out. There's there's ways to say, like, your sin is actively hurting other people. Um, But, yeah, I guess it doesn't separate them from God, but it certainly can't separate you from other people and blah, blah, blah. But not in this weird... It's all contingent on you and your holiness thing. Mm-hmm. So that's something different. I'm sorry about that tangent. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm I, evangelical. What can I say? Right. I read Mark 3 this last week and I like, I was reading the CEV where it says what Jesus was angry uh, at their stubborn hearts. Right. Angry at, angry. He says like angry and deeply saddened by their stubborn hearts. Which because I like, the they, they were trying to, you know, 
trick Jesus. So there, it was the Sabbath, and there was this guy with a withered hand, and they were like, uh, you know, is he going to heal him or not? And Jesus was just like, you really, you're really going to do this? Mm-hmm. You're really going to like put these Sabbath laws above this man's restoration? And they were like, they didn't say anything, which means, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus was deeply, was angry and deeply saddened. So right, yeah. it's interesting. I mean, yeah, I think that nothing. But he wasn't separate from them. Right. I mean, God is omnipresent. I think that he is with everyone all the time. And I think that sometimes we are more or less aware of him. And I mean, that that's actually a really good question. Like, what is, does sin separate us from God or do we have to stop sinning because, or is it just the things that we have a conscience about, right? I mean, think about like the huge blind spots, right? right? So like, you know, participating in slavery, right? Like being a pastor that like does not see that as a problem. Does that mean that person is separated from God or not? I mean, I love talking about ethics, which is why I want to keep talking about this, but let's go back to the central core, which is for people who love to talk about the love of God, evangelicals don't seem to understand what the love of God is really like. Yeah. It is way bigger than I was told mm-hmm. as a kid by McGee and me. You know, it's like all these things do shape us, which I feel a little silly even watching this on YouTube. Like, what is the point of unpacking this? And then, bam, my seven-year-old is talking about how shamed this boy is and how he's going to be separate from God. You know, like, right. that is really important stuff. I think it was really helpful for me because I'm like, why do I have this idea that I am like, God doesn't actually love me. He doesn't like me. He's disgusted with me when I, you know, like, where does this come from? I'm like, oh, what do you know? It comes from things that I watched when I was a young child teaching me about theology. Yeah. Well, this is not as happy and fun as I thought McGee <laughs> me was going to be. Um. But then, well, let's. So the scary man, Mr. Is, Ravenclaw. Yes, that's right. not his name. No, Ravenhill. Ravenhill. Yeah. George. George Ravenhill. Native American, mm-hmm. indigenous, or right. Indian. Some people self-identify as Indian. Yeah, right. But I don't feel like the neighborhood should have called him that. Especially We'd, a crazy Indian. Yes, and we don't know how he self-identifies. So no, right. Um, and so well, the the adults in the show. Call him Mr. Ra- uh, Ravenclaw, Mr. Ravenhill, right? <laughs> so that's kind of interesting, right? Like they don't even talk about his ethnicity at all, yeah. which I'm not sure what that means. But um, so one thing, I mean, first of all, with him being the sort of villain, and they don't like debrief it at all, which I think is really problematic. I think he, I think he's in another episode. I could be wrong. I don't think so. Maybe. Oh, I wish. I wish he was like a recurring character. That would be great, but I don't think he is. Okay. Um, yeah. I know he... Derek comes back. Right. So one of the things, though, is thinking about the kid throwing the rock through the window, right? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Did folks on the family even think about the fact that, you know, being the only minority in a white neighborhood getting things thrown through your window is like a like a thing that has happened over and over and over and over in America. Oh, I no, I'm sure they didn't. I mean, I was thinking of I have a friend 
who's black and talking about moving into a white neighborhood and their first night they had a brick thrown through their window. Oh my gosh. Right? So that was like the first, yeah. I'm like, I don't even think that like, he's probably not thinking like, oh, these are some neighborhood kids, right? Like yeah. there is this like racialized threat experience that he, yeah. I mean, nothing in the episode indicates that and he's fictional, but right. that he likely would have had, right? Yeah. Is like, I don't think it's just a rock through the window. Interesting. Anyway. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that, but that makes total sense. I was thinking, like, these these bullies, like, how are they going to be dealt with in this show? They're just bands of roving kids who do nefarious things at night. It's kind of weird. Right. What world do these people live in? Stranger Things world. Right. I mean, it's very <gasps> parallel. Oh, my gosh. You know my theory about Stranger Things? No, I don't. Is that the Duffy Brothers? Is that their name? McDuffers? Something. The Duffies? Okay. The guys who do Stranger Things. Uh-huh. I swear to you, they grew up on Frank Peretti <laughs> books. But maybe also McGee and me. <gasps> McGee and me is totally a part of what influences them. <laughs> Although, isn't Stranger Things set in 84 or something like that? Yeah. This is a few years later. Mm-hmm. But yeah, same deal, except these kids have a weird animated alter ego. Mm-hmm. Only one of the kids. What if the twist at the end is that he has a schizophrenia or something? We shouldn't joke about that. <laughs> Strike that for the record. <laughs> I was just thinking the, you know, usually in sci-fi, which I guess this is. It's called sci-fi? speculative fiction. Okay. Right. Usually there's rules, right? Like it's pretty clear and we do not know what the rules are. We don't know the are. rules. Right. Okay. So we'll, we'll talk about this more because we got to wrap this up. Mm-hmm. But I've been, you know, reading a lot about Mr. Rogers. I'm reading this biography of him. I watched the documentary about Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers would effing hate McGee and me because it doesn't <laughs> lay out the rules and it makes kids, it would make kids feel scared yeah, and I shamed totally and unsure and Mr. Rogers, like, he didn't put up with that. He didn't put up with that stuff, okay? And he would be really disappointed in the people who made this, who seem to be a little bit more focused on entertainment or just getting the moral out there and not taking into consideration, like, how scared and deeply frightened kids are of the world and how they do need a secure attachment with an adult to tell them fundamentally you are seen you are known you are good you are loved and there's nothing you need to do to earn that that was a that was a message of mr rogers and like it's the opposite message of every christian like thing for kids i've ever seen if somebody can please show me one that matches up to mr rogers i will be so happy Mm -hmm. but i don't i've not seen it i've not seen one christian thing that just says i like you just the way you are right Nothing. Yeah. Again, please, if you're listening to this, if there is something put forth by Focus on the Family that says that and leaves it there, I will eat my hat or something gross. I will. There's a church sign near our house that says, come as you are, change change inside, (sighs) which I think is the message of like, actually, our pastor said that today. As he was praying, he said, Lord, make us into the people that you died for. Well, that's a weird thing. I don't even want to go into that. I know. I'm like, unpack that. What does that mean? Let's just keep out of Mr. Rogers. 
But I am going to like have him in my brain as I continue to watch these episodes. And I encourage all of you to go see this documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And then watch these episodes along with us. Give us your thoughts. Um, you know, hit us up on the Twitter, Prophetic Imagine. And what's our email again, Christman? Prophetic Imagination Station. At Gmail. Have you at even Gmail. checked it recently? No, I haven't. Oh, I bet. People stopped emailing. I bet like really famous people have emailed us. I bet so. Yeah. Like focus on the family, sending us cease and desist emails. I bet. Famous people like James Dobson. Dobson. We got Dobson <laughs> here. <laughs> I think he's probably too old to be on the internet now. I seriously did write an open letter to focus on the family and President Jim Daly about mm. forced sem- separation of families at the border. Yeah. It's great. <sighs> the world's a mess, Crispin. Yes. But God loves us. And even though we sin, which we do, he mm-hmm. still loves us. Yeah. I yep. want to add something else about now we have to try it, but we still should try and be really good to each other, blah, 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 blah. But I'm just going to stop. Nope. Yeah. God loves us. And we got to trust in his transforming, the transforming nature of his love. Yeah. Right. It does change us. I do think he's going to sort everything out. I think he's going to heal everything and everyone. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's it. Catch you guys next time. Do you know what the next episode is? I don't. Uh, All right. Until next time, you guys got to keep watching along with us. Watch episode two in preparation for next time. Yeah. And give us your theories. Is McGee a demon? The id? (laughs) An alter ego? Or just like how all evangelical kids actually feel on the inside? Right. Maybe we'll inspire someone to write a dissertation on who is McGee and me in McGee and me. And they could. His name's not McGee and me. You, you just said who's McGee and me in McGee and me. <laughs> if you. His first name is McGee and his last name is Ann me. <laughs> if you want to write a dissertation on that, we will let you have our ti- the title of this season. Also, it's the time is right for a McGee and Miguel sh- show. It's true. So. We could do, do a chop up of McGee and me. What's that song? Remember me. Could you sing it right now. No. <laughs> remember me. How can we mix Even it up? Even though you have to say goodbye, remember me. Oh wait. It'd be remember. This me. is the ending of our show. I'm singing the song to oh. sing us out. Okay. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> This has been an episode of the Prophetic Imagination Station. Check us out on SoundCloud or iTunes and stay tuned for weekly discussions.